Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So New Year's is upon us. Uh, it's a time of frivolity, and so what better to talk about than alcohol? Woo! Yeah, so we are going back to the archives this week, taking a what I think is a richly deserved week off. You all may disagree, but uh, this is an old episode from one of the first 30 or 40 that we ever did about statistics behind brewing beer. Have a wonderful and safe uh, New Year's, and we'll see you in 2018. Or maybe you're already there. Happy New Year. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So today we're going to talk about tea tests. We are. Uh, we're going to be doing an experiment along the way, too. This is our first podcast recording remotely, and I miss you already. Oh, yeah, you're a little face and a little box on my computer screen. It's, it's, not, it's not quite the same. No. Um, so for, for our listeners, um, I have just executed a move to Chicago. How did it been, go? Uh, it, it's great. Um, I'm, we have rain here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have rain here. We still, it's very, very hot right now. Oh, really? Well, yeah, it's, I'm uh, sweating. I, it's like 68 here and, uh, a little bit drizzly. It's, it's kind of nice actually. Very refreshing. So I might not feel that way in a little while, but I'm enjoying <laughs> it right now. So this episode of Linear Regressions comes to you from Ben's living room and Katie's closet. You're listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, um, we're also going to talk about how tea tests got their name, and it's it's not it doesn't have to do with the beverage tea. No, no, no. But first off, so what what is a tea test? So a tea test is a way of doing a statistical comparison between two different samples where you don't have a whole lot of data points uh, for either of these two samples, which is usually the case for you, right? It's, it's not often uh, something that happens where we have huge numbers of statistics or experimental data points or whatever it is, huge numbers of measurements of what it is we're trying mm -hmm. to study. We might have a few dozen data points or a few hundred or a few thousand. Um, and then we have to sort of take this smaller sample and say, with some statistical significance, okay, like, what do we think is going on here and how how sure are we that that we know what's going on yeah and we talk about that a lot actually on this podcast about how how you know you can do all kinds of stuff when you have data but a lot of times the problem the difficulty is in getting the data in the first place and that goes for machine learning and that goes for uh statistical analysis so oh, totally absolutely data acquisition can be super hard i mean if you mm -hmm. just have a data set that you find then it might be fairly straightforward. But a lot of times the data set is something that you have to go out and make, you have to collect, you have to set up an experiment for. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, even just getting a few tons of, of measurements can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. So a t-test, I guess, then would be one of your tools in your tool belt in terms of, uh, in terms of dealing with a relatively small sample size. So like one example that comes to mind, for example, is in medicine, a lot of times... If you're, let's say that you're you're um, comparing how a particular medicine does in terms of headaches, right? So you can give that medicine or a placebo to your group or your control group of uh, thousands of people if you want to, right? Uh, that's pretty straightforward. But if instead you have, let's say, people who have life-threatening uh, diseases, right? You can't just go out and find... Uh, you know, a million people with cancer and give them either no treatment or a treatment. It's a little bit more difficult in, in situations like that. And so instead, you might get a much smaller data set. 
Right. So then you have this problem in that situation where you might only have a few dozen people, let's say, who mm. are in your study. And so you have, let's say you, you take some blood measurements before you give them the medicine. You administer the medicine. You take the blood test after. And the question is, on the basis of these few dozen measurements, do you know whether the, the, the drug is being effective or not? And this can mm -hmm. be really tricky to answer, right? Because there's going to be statistical noise in there. You know, every person is going to react to it a little bit differently. And you don't have a whole lot of data points that you can just, you know, throw a, a ton of statistics at it and, yeah. and wait for the right answer to bubble up. And so the T-test is basically a, a formula that allows you to say if um, – what you can do in this case, for example, is you have this measurement of, of the, the blood levels before and you have some average across your sample. And then you'll have some average across your sample after you've administered the medicine. And the t-test gives you an adjustment to sort of your uncertainty on these numbers mm, that I see. Is, is based on the number of data points that you have available to you. And it can tell you whether these two numbers are the same in which case your drug hasn't really done anything, or if they're showing a statistically significant difference, in which case you have some evidence that maybe your drug has, has had some effect. Okay, so let's say that, and I'm not a doctor, so I, I don't know what these measurements but would be, but let's say that before you administer to the drug, your, your measurement is 62, and then after you administer the drug, your blood measurement is 68. Well, that's a change in six points. If you give it to a lot of people, that six points might be very statistically significant and indicative of, of something big. But if you only give it to 10 people, then that change in six could be a statistical fluke. So what you're saying then is that the t-test gives you a way of adjusting for uncertainty based on how many, uh, how many samples you have. Exactly. And the fewer yeah. samples you have, the more uncertainty and the higher the bar, if you will, I guess, for a change to be counted as statistically significant. Yeah. So I think you've really nailed it. There are a couple other ways that you can use a t-test. Um, you know, see Wikipedia if you're interested in more of these. But I think this is really like one of the classic cases is, is seeing if two means are the same or not when you're drawing them from fairly small samples. Okay. So now that we've got that under our belt, you did promise us that we were going to talk about the history of the t-test. Yeah, so this is often called uh, not just the t-test, but the student's t-test. Okay. Um, and the student's t-test Who was is, Mr. Student? Mr. Student is a pseudonym. Mr. Student did not exist. Mr. Student. Oh, really? Was, <laughs> yes. Mr. Student was the name of a, a statistician who mm -hmm. was doing a, a bunch of work more than 100 years ago now, uh, sort of like in the early 1900s. And Mr. Student's real name was William Gossett. William Seeley Gossett. That's his name. And William Seeley Gossett's job was actually a really cool job. He was in charge of running experiments and quality control at Guinness Breweries in Dublin, Ireland. Beer? He, yes. He was, he was a brewer. Or he was a statistician, but he got a job at Guinness. That's that's really interesting. I, I just actually pulled up uh, Wikipedia for students t test, and it says he was a chemist working for the Guinness B Brewery. I did not expect that. I expected he would be kind of a, a mathy guy at some university somewhere. Uh, no, he. Well, I mean, he had a, sort of an academic background, but uh, okay. yeah, he he's a hero to all of us out there who uh, work with statistics a lot every day. So did he? So did he develop this in his spare time, or did he develop this? Uh, like during his day job at the Guinness Brewery. Yeah, so this was something that he developed specifically in his studies of of trying to understand the best way to brew beer. 
So he was put in charge of, of answering this question, what's the best way to brew beer? And there's lots of variables that you have to you when you're brewing beer. There's all the different uh, ingredients that you can be using. Um, but those are all agricultural products, and so they have also sort of variations in in sourcing and exactly what strain of, of wheat or barley or hops or whatever you're using. Um, there's different growing methods. You might just have this random uh, variation that you get from the weather. And so he had, again, it's kind of like this cancer example where you might only have a few dozen different um, or even fewer uh, examples of different types of ingredients that you can be using, different strains of these these various ingredients. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out which one is going to give you the best beer. Or, you know, conversely, if you start to fiddle around with some of the ingredients, if the beer that you're getting out is getting better or worse as a result. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so he was put in charge of solving this problem. And, and it's, a, it's a problem where, again, you only have sometimes a few you know, real different measurements available to you and you have to extrapolate based on these few measurements. And so what he was able to do was to come up with the t-test, which is, again, sort of an adjustment to the way they would usually do these statistics. So it was explicitly taking into account the fact that they didn't have as much data available to them as, as you know, sort of the standard statistical treatments required. Um, and then that way he was able to help Guinness really nailed down kind of the quality control of their beer. He was one of the first people who really did like scientific statistics based so, quality control. That's so cool. That that's I mean also it's it really um it makes me happy that an alcohol producer was doing rigorous scientific quality control to figure out how to make the best product. That's yeah, pretty you cool. Know, they were they were really ahead of the curve on this. In nineteen oh eight too. Yeah, yeah. I was reading about this and I guess they had this policy of just hiring the best statistician to come out of like Oxford or Cambridge and just letting them do what they wanted to do. And, and Gossett was just like the right guy at the right wow. time. Anyway, one more thing I should add though. We said sure. this was the student's T-test uh, and you usually hear it called that, not the Gossett T-test. Yeah. So what, what was with the pseudonym? Yeah. So the pseudonym was because, so he's doing all of this work as a sort of the statistician at Guinness. Mm-hmm. And this, as you can imagine, Guinness was the only company that was doing anything like this at the time. So this gave them a real competitive advantage against the other brewers. Mm-hmm. And so the deal with Gossett was he said that he figured out all of this, this uh, statistical, all these statistical advances. And they said, okay, fine, you can go ahead and publish it because I know that, you know, you as a statistician want the world to be aware of this amazing thing that you've just figured out. Um, but you're not allowed to use your real name. Because if you used your real name, our competitors would figure out what we were up to. Oh, they'll then, track it through his name, yeah. figure out Guinness is doing this stuff, and then they might start to do that, and Guinness would lose their competitive advantage. That's crazy. Right, right. So so he had to publish it under a pseudonym, and the one that he picked was student. And uh, to this day, he doesn't receive sort of the full credit that, that he should, I think, because everybody calls it the student's T-test instead of the gossip T-test. But, mm. um, you know, his, his legacy, I guess, lives on under the pseudonym. So the next time you have a Guinness, uh, think about statistics a little bit at the beginning of the beer, because by the end of the beer, you're not going to be thinking about statistics very much. Well, that's funny, actually. I was thinking about my experience with Guinness in a slightly different way. I have had Guinness three times. I'm not much of a drinker. I had two different Guinnesses in Ireland, uh, which is where the Guinness Brewery is, is out of. And then I had one somewhere in the United States. And the ones, the two in Ireland were markedly better 
than the one that I had in America. So I guess my question would be, were they better enough to to make a judgment whether uh, on whether or not uh, Guinness is actually better in Ireland? I'm sure it is, right? But is that something that I could figure out with the t-test? You could. That I mean, three samples is a very small <laughs> yeah. sample size. However, let me Google something real quick. Okay. So wait, what what are you googling for? So well, I'm just googling for like. Um, student t-test Guinness because this was what I was doing sort of in preparation for this Uh um, episode. And I was remembering a blog post that I found by um, Michelle Perret. And this was like the second hit for that query where, um, so this person, uh, Michelle went to the the Guinness brewery in Dublin and Mm -hmm. wrote this and has a statistical background was like, you know, it tastes way better in Guinness and Guinness has, uh, this thing called the Guinness Overall Enjoyment Score, which is a what? It, it's a number that they go out and they they tabulate this this enjoyment score, and they the number that it sounds like they get when they're in Ireland for how much people enjoy Guinness is seventy four. Okay. If it's outside of Ireland, it's fifty seven, and then it's actually the thing that's not clear is how big the sample sizes are. So you, so you kind of <laughs> have so to like funny. make up these numbers and fill it in for the T-test. But right. she makes up some like plausible, but who knows if they're correct, numbers for the size of the of the, um, uh, the sample size and the standard deviations, which are the numbers mm-hmm. that, you need, that you need to compute the T-test. And then actually goes through and does the calculation of the T-test. It's a very simple calculation um, just to figure out what these fake numbers. Uh, what's, what's the final answer? Does Guinness actually taste better in Ireland? Uh, well, with these... Made up numbers, like I said. Uh, yes, it does taste better in Ireland. I mean, I, awesome. The, the data will say anything if you set it up to say that. But um, that's true. But yeah, let's pretend like this is a real scientific study and say that, like, yes, using the the students' t test, Ben, we've scientifically proven that Guinness tastes better in Ireland. Well, I am going to be in Ireland in about a month and a half, so I will go grab some more data points in the yeah. name of science. I think what you should do is you have like maybe forty or fifty. Guinnesses in Ireland, and then you have another 40 or 50 when you're back in the United States, and then we're well on our way to a science... No, that sounds like a terrible idea. Oh, boy. (laughs) All kinds of bias issues with that. Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning, produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity, a company dedicated to education. We've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity. This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.